This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting, and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 209, and I am here with Michelle Vinabaltis, a professionally trained coach and certified intuitive eating counselor. And we are talking about how to exercise intuitively. We'll talk about what it is, how to overcome exercise resistance, the importance of movement as we age, and how to get started with intuitive movement, especially in midlife. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 209. First, I want to give a shout out to Tana Marie 999 who left this awesome review. Summer's podcast is what first introduced me to body positivity, learning to see bodies, my own and others through a body positive lens rather than diet culture lens feels liberating. She interviews guests that that can have me pounding my steering wheel with my fist saying, oh my God, yes, that's truth, Thais Sky in particular, or have tears welling up in my eyes as they speak from their heart, Aaron Flores in particular. I highly recommend this podcast for anyone, but especially for those tired of living with body shame. Thank you so much, Tana Marie. I really appreciate that. Such a lovely review. And I'm so glad that it gets you all fired up or emotional, that you actually feel stuff from listening to it. That's great. If you haven't already done so, you can leave a review, go to iTunes, search for Eat the Rules, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. It helps others people to find the show. It helps keep the show on the air. You can also help me out by just hitting that subscribe button. Takes two seconds and that helps out with this podcast as well. If you haven't already done so, make sure you grab the free 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. This episode is another episode in the movement series. And I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Michelle Vina Baltzis. She was on the show last year, specifically speaking about aging and ageism and body image, because she specializes in working with women who are in midlife. And I wanted to bring her back on the show because she has an amazing program called Joyful Movement at Last, which helps people to really 
think through all the kind of roadblocks and the way that they've been taught to think about exercise and movement and create a plan for themselves to move their bodies in a way that feels good moving forward. And there's not, I don't think there's any other program that's really out there that's like this. And so, you know, I consider her an expert in this area. She knows a ton about movement and in particular kind of moving your body through all the different ages and stages of your life, given her experience helping midlife women and her own experience being a midlife woman. And so I thought it would be wonderful to add her perspective to to the show today and to really kind of dig into what you might Google as intuitive exercise. But we're really, I like to kind of call it intuitive movement, but because of SEO and all that stuff, I got to call it intuitive exercise, but that's okay. So anyways, we are getting into all that stuff in this episode and you got to stick around to almost the end, but we blow up the whole question of whether or not you need 10,000 steps a day. I had heard Michelle talking about this in a Facebook live that she had done. And I was like, we have to talk about that on here because I think that a lot of people have this belief that, you know, we have to do 10,000 steps a day. So you get to hear what the science says, what the research says, and what to kind of take away from that (laughs) towards the end of the episode. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Michelle Vina Baltzis is a professionally trained body image coach, Tara Moore, playing big facilitator and certified intuitive eating counselor. For 10 years, she's been supporting midlife women who are ready to recreate their relationships with eating body image movement and aging using the intuitive eating and haze framework. Her compassionate approach helps guide women to focus on meeting their bodies at all shapes, sizes, weights, and ages without apology. Let's get started with the show. Hello, Michelle. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Summer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here today and to talk about something else that I know that you're an expert in, which is helping people to change their relationship with movement. One of my favorite topics. (laughs) Yeah. So before we get into kind of some of the specifics, what was your like kind of evolution in terms of your relationship with exercise? Like, was that something that you had to kind of really change your relationship with? Or how did you get into kind of wanting to help other people change their relationship with exercise too? My relationship with movement has pre-intuitive eating had been very driven by weight loss or weight maintenance and also very wrapped up in how I looked. So it was all about changing my body in one way or, you know, whether it was be thinner or be, you know, more muscular or whatever, have a different shape. And so I had to reframe that when, or I chose to reframe that when I moved into intuitive eating and which is now just intuitive living for me. So I have been a fairly consistent exerciser or person who, you know, did movement. I mean, I remember way back, like from middle school, really liking movement, but Again, it was, I did like the challenge piece of it, but if I'm honest with myself, when I got like into high school and later years, you know, high school and college, it was very driven by, oh, well, if I do this, maybe my body will look this way. And so I definitely had to do some reframing around that. And how has that changed since you kind of moved into midlife? How have you, like, what kind of changes have you noticed both mentally and physically as it relates to your relationship with movement? Oh, it's so different. <laughs> it's just, I really focus more on how my body feels. And, you know, my body, it may change with the movement that I do, but I'm 
really so dialed into how does this movement feel? How is it helping me in other ways, specifically around my mental health and managing anxiety, managing some low-level depression, helping to manage my blood pressure. I do, you know, I have a very, very mild case of high blood pressure, so I'm able to manage it with, with movement and just a water pill. So I feel very fortunate that movement does help me to navigate that, but it just helps me to feel better in so many ways. It really helps to clear the cobwebs out of my mind when I get caught in just ruminating, you know, about certain things. And I have lots of tools, but I just find that for me, movement is one of the things that really is my go-to. Yeah. And what forms do you enjoy the most? I love walking. I love hiking. I used to really love cycling. And I do that sometimes, but not as much as I like hiking and walking. I have a dog, so we walk a lot. And I'm actually considering getting back into running. I'm not sure that my body will allow me. I had an injury years ago, but I'm kind of curious to see. I think it might be like a what I'm calling like a next level challenge. So we'll see. If my body can tolerate it, I may do it. If it can't, that's okay too. I really just enjoy walking. I love being out in nature and I love hiking. I find hiking to be a lot of fun and definitely challenging. But one of the things I love about movement is the challenge for me. And it's I do it safely and I do it where I'm listening to my body. And if I feel like threatened in any way physically, I back away. But it definitely boosts my confidence when I do something that I was like, I'm not sure if I can do that. And then afterwards, I'm like, you can do hard things. You can still do hard things. And that feels good. Yeah, totally. That's such a great perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, one of the things that you talk about is exercise resistance, like this concept of like exercise resistance. What is exercise resistance? Well, it's in my, the way I see exercise resistance, and it's not my original term. I wish I could remember where I heard it first, but it's when you really want to, your body is wanting to move, but you have all of these obstacles, most of them emotional, that are in your way. So you're struggling with, I don't have time. You know, I'm not good at that. I never really liked movement. I don't like to sweat. And like, before you know, like you've talked yourself out of just taking a walk around the block and just all of these mental things that just keep, oh, there's another one, oh, there's another one. And like I said, you just talk yourself out of it. And mostly what I've experienced and why I feel so passionate about this is a lot of the women that I'm working with are midlife and beyond, and they really do want to move. But these barriers are stopping them in many, many ways. So it's getting, it's really distilling what the issue really is. And most of the time, it's fear, it's comparisonitis, it's perfectionism. And so all of a sudden, the I don't have time turns into, well, let's look at that a little bit. You know, are you open to exploring this? And it's, well, I can't exercise for as long as my doctor wants me to. And what's the point if I can't do it for that long? It's not going to have any benefit. And so they go from wanting to do a little bit to doing nothing because it's not what the magazine articles say. It's not what they read online. And there's this rigid thinking, which we know is typical diet culture talk for if you can't do it this way, it's wrong, right? So, you know, it's worth the time to explore. 
Yeah, no, you said so many good things there. And I think you talked about fear. I think one of the things that I've heard is like, there's often like a fear of judgment, I think, especially when it involves kind of being in a public setting, whether that's even just walking around the block or going to a class or anything like that, that definitely can feed into like some of those other like symptoms, as you said, where whether it's saying like, oh, I don't have time or I can't do it or whatever. There's often like a, a fear underneath, isn't there? There is. And people could also have past trauma, too. They could have had really negative experience, perhaps in gym class, in their formative years, or at a gym, they could have had a really negative experience. Or when, and this is a big one, when they do start to move, they find that they start slipping back into diet mentality. They start wanting their body to look differently, and they start looking for, well, what's the point of doing X if my body is still going to be the same? You know, I was really hoping and it's really very eye-opening for clients to see how far they've come with their eating and their body image and yet when they start moving sometimes they still find that it's a really slippery slope really slippery slope you know because they're sweating and they're putting in all of this effort and they're like it's still the same. So they realize that there's still a lot of diet mentality underneath it all. And then they realize that and the awareness is wonderful for them. And then they know that, okay, we need to take a few steps back and, and maybe start to do some more work here. But it is helpful. But that is a big, big pitfall for people is slipping right back into the diet mentality. Yes, I noticed that too, particularly with like with movement, because it's usually something that maybe kind of you start to address later on, or, you know, sometimes people kind of take a break from it while they're healing their relationship with food, or they're trying different things. And like, I find it is it's really challenging for people to be able to just turn off that diet brain, especially when it relates to movement. So we'll kind of talk more about like your advice around that. But First, I wanted to ask you about just the way that you kind of reframe movement. You really talk about it in terms of having a relationship. So how can reframing movement as a relationship like help us to either kind of overcome that exercise resistance or move more or whatever someone wants to do? Yeah, I love the reframe of relationship because you know, when we think about what relationships require, it's typically nurturing and it's, you know, there's like this getting to know you period. And I feel like so many people that are, that may have, like you said before, taken a break from movement because they've needed to for trauma or they're so focused on healing the food and the body image that the movement needs to take a backseat. And that's perfectly fine and natural. They are now recreating a relationship that is very different from what it very likely was before. So understanding that relationships take time and nurturing, I think really makes a big difference. And when we don't tend to our relationships, they tend not to thrive. So if we kind of personify it, it I think for me and for my clients, it's really helped them to be like, okay, this is a relationship that's important, that I want to be more important to me. And so relationships, we need to pay attention to them. And so if we just kind of leave them in the corner and we don't pay attention or we never make the call or we never, you know, put a text out to a friend, that relationship, especially new one, is probably not going to flourish the way we want it to. So that sometimes helps people to reframe it and make it more compassionate collaborative effort. So that's just been something that's been very helpful for me in reframing my relationship. And it's also been helpful for my clients to think about it in those terms. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. You mentioned compassion there. So how important does compassion play in terms of changing your relationship with movement? Well, you and I both know that you can't really do this work without compassion. My clients often call me the self-compassion queen because for me and in my recovery, it has been the, I would say, the cornerstone really of everything. And it still is. Compassion is really important because research has shown over and over again that when we're being unkind to ourselves, it really puts up a lot of roadblocks in, in our continued recovery. But more importantly, when we're throwing the shoulds and all the have-tos into the equation with healing, something interesting happens in the body. It actually hijacks the body's instincts to our instincts and our impulses and that we would naturally be led by. And it, that hinders the intuitiveness of the movement. So, you know, when people say, well, what is intuitive movement? And it's like, eat, you know, intuitive eating, it's we're tuning in to our body, we're quieting all that noise to see what types of signals our bodies are giving us. And when we're in that should or have to mode, those get sort of squashed. And so we really can't listen. And that makes intuitive movement very difficult. And that's when we tend to go more into the more prescriptive rule book type of movement that doesn't typically serve people, you know, uh, who want to heal their relationship. Yeah, that's so interesting. So then like, how can someone sort of put that more into practice as it relates to movement? Like how is that something that you would suggest they try to kind of call upon before or like, I don't know, I'm just curious if you have any kind of practices around that. I mean, self-compassion to me is, is a constant practice. It's the way we talk to ourselves and others, you know, but speaking of ourselves, it's, it's listening for that harsh tone, you know, listening for as, you know, that inner critic in us and redirecting those thoughts or coming up with more neutral thoughts that are going to very likely move us forward, you know, millimeter by millimeter. But the point is to stop that talk and be and remind ourselves that it's just not helpful. It is not serving us in any way. So I think paying attention to the thoughts and when we're starting a movement practice, reminding ourselves that this is something new. And, you know, like when babies start walking, they do not just get up and go and start running. You know, it's a stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down. And so we may need to do that with movement and, and try different types of movements and see how they feel. Try them on, date them, because they may not be what they used to be. And you may not even like what you used to like. You know, I used to be an avid cyclist. I mean, many hours I used to cycle and now no desire. Absolutely no. And I do cycle, but not to the extreme of what it used to be. My body has changed and my desires have changed. So I think we need to always be like looking and reassessing and asking ourselves, am I really enjoying this? Because if not, mm, let's not do it. <laughs> let's try something else. You know, that's okay. We have permission to try different things. Yeah, the baby analogy is really good because it's like even like thinking about it in terms of like, okay, you know, they only take like a couple steps and then they fall down. You know, they're not like able to just get up and walk around the block. So it's the same thing with yourself. It's like if you haven't done something for a while, just kind of set the bar really low. You're only going to take two steps before you fall down. So, but that doesn't mean that you can't grow from there and be able to do more. That's a good, that was just kind of where my brain was going. Yeah. And we have to keep reminding ourselves. It's not like, you know, better than anyone. It's not like a one and done. Like we don't say it once. We have to keep 
saying it, saying, that's okay. You know, okay, so you, you didn't do as many as you wanted or that didn't work out the way you wanted it. That's okay, but what information did it give me about this? You know, and always be, I'm in this, this new phase of life now where I'm trying to neutralize my thoughts more. And so I'm like, there's no good, bad. It's just, it's neutral. It's information. And now I have this information and how am I going to move forward with this information? And on most days, I'm able to do that. On days when I'm tired, not so much. <laughs> but, you know, it's getting to that place of neutrality. It's with, like I did with food, like I did with my body. And now I'm going that way with my emotions. And it's, it's been helpful. And I think we just we need to look at these things as okay so I don't like to do that type of movement that's okay good job for trying and we'll try something else yeah one of the other things that you mentioned when you were speaking to all of that was you know like your body can't do maybe what it did before and I, I know you work with a lot of people in midlife and this is certainly something that I've heard I feel like there's like kind of this you know a bit of grief in terms of you know, your body, I mean, you have this amazing quote from the last time you're on the podcast, which I think was like, my 50 year old body is now my 20, 20 year old body. And we were talking about it as it relates to body image in that context. But it's the same thing, I think, with movement. And, you know, you've mentioned before how that can kind of stop people. So I would love you to just kind of speak to that grief process or just, you know, how do you kind of work through like, the feelings that come up around you're comparing yourself to this body that could do more maybe or is like, you know, was more capable when you were younger. Yeah. Oh, I have a feeling in my chest. I'm just going to, you know, it's interesting. Again, trying to neutralize emotions. <laughs> you know, it's information that I'm every day I'm getting new information about my body. And most days I, I listen intently. I am like with most other things in my life, recreating or creating a relationship with aging that I don't know, I never really thought about until now. And so part of that creating this new relationship is understanding that my body has changed as it's supposed to and embracing that to the best of my ability and slathering on lots of compassion when I realize that there's some things that I just am not comfortable doing, whether it's from a physical point of view or from a safety point of view. So, you know, looking at these things compassionately and saying, it's okay you know, noticing it and really just instead of getting into, oh, but you used to be able to, you know, I mean, you know better than anyone. We've had conversations where I can, I won't allow myself to do things because to me, it's, you know, it's a sign that I'm in quotes old. So, you know, and I've been through this, so I have to work through it. And then I come out on the other side and then I say, these are the stories that you're telling yourself. We need to rewrite that narrative. And again, doing all of this, with as much compassion as possible. And lots of times there's some tears and that's okay too. But, you know, it's not like it happens every day, but it's just, it's facing up to the fact that we're all aging and we have to meet our bodies where they are at that time and keep asking our bodies what's working for you today, what's not, and what do we want to try? What do we want to try next? If something isn't working or if something isn't what we thought it was going to be, we have permission to try something else. And to me, as long as I keep moving and I have that uh, privilege of to keep moving, I will. Yeah. Do you find like, do you have more gratitude for it now? Because like, I certainly do. I know you're older than me. So you're kind of in like a slightly different phase. But you know, I do. I'm like, okay, like, I'm not broken. I'm not injured. Like, I got to enjoy this. <laughs> Absolutely. It may sound corny, but pretty much every step I take, everything I do, I really am so dialed into gratitude 
when it comes to my recovery because I remember my life before it and no thanks. I don't ever want to go back to that relating to my food, my body and movement and all the steps I take, everything that I do, everything that I try, whether I want to do it again or not, to me are just their opportunities. And I have an incredible, incredible gratitude for it all. You know, because there are a lot of people that are either not able to due to injuries or just illnesses, and I'm sure it's not easy. So I feel I do recognize that there's privilege in it, and, and I, have, I have a lot of gratitude around it. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about kind of some of the challenges that midlife people in particular might struggle with when it comes to movement. What are some of the the obstacles that you've noticed? And like, how can people work to, I guess, overcome those or work with them? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we talked about last time was understanding that the 20 year old body, like I said, is is not shouldn't be the same as my 50 year old body. So that right there is big. I mean, you know, it's understanding that and intellectually, but really embodying that and not blaming your body for it, because these are things that are supposed to happen. You know, our bodies are supposed to change. So I think that that's big and how that relates to movement is that your body may not be able to at all or comfortably do some of the physical things that you used to do when you were in your 20s or 30s or maybe even 40s, and that's okay too. So meeting our bodies where they are and understanding that they're supposed to change and that that's not anyone's fault. That's just called life, <laughs> you know, so really just doing our best to embody that on every level. And that's not always easy every day. But I think, again, it's one of those things we have to be very intentional about watching the narratives that we tell ourselves, because if you get stuck in that, you really get stuck oh, it's not the same, what's the point, you know, the whole thing, the whole story. You know, I have this thing that I always say is like we need to start putting more periods at the end of our sentence instead of the ellipsis because after the ellipsis is this whole long story that we tell ourselves that something can't be as good. And I, I disagree. I think it can be as good. I think it may just be different. And I think we have to embrace different. It doesn't have to be the same to be fun and to be good. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great perspective. And keep that in mind. <laughs> Put a period there. Period. Yeah. It kind of stops us right in our tracks. It really does. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going down that road today. There's a period at the end of that sentence and let's leave it there. Exactly. Exactly. And so then when you think about like aging and the benefits of movement as people age, what are some of the benefits of movement as we age? Well, I mean, there, you know, we could go on days about this, but specifically around mobility, I mean, it's huge. Just thinking about the fluid that is, you know, in the joints, it's called synovial fluid. And we need to keep that moving. We do or else it causes stiffness. So that alone for me is like, okay, let's keep going. You know, like I want to be mobile as long as I can be. And so movement doesn't guarantee that, but it certainly increases my odds. So that's really big for me. For a lot of people that have chronic conditions like diabetes, type 2 diabetes, 
heart disease, things like that, blood pressure, movement just can really be another tool to help manage some of those conditions. It, it may or may not reverse them for many people. You know, they still have the illness, but they are able to, with medications and other things, they are very often able to help manage it. And it just makes people feel better. Typically, mental health-wise, it is just a huge boost. Cognitively, movement really helps as we age. And that's, that's also obviously very important. It's very good for brain function. I mean, all of these things are really, really important. I've had several clients that have come to me and said, you know, I've had disabled parents later in life. I don't want that. And there's nothing wrong with being disabled, obviously, but it happened as a result of their lack of movement. And this was a big fear of theirs, but they had incredible resistance. So we talked about it. And when we finished working together, they were more consistently moving and they felt like they were doing their part to help ensure that, again, they would be moving for as long as who knows how long, none of us know, but they, again, felt like they were doing their part, and that really made them feel like they were taking, you know, um, some sort of control. I don't like that word control, but, but again, they were doing their part to help ensure that this didn't happen to them. Yeah, and I think that everything you've mentioned there is like, they're all really good motivators outside of aesthetics, you know? Like, I think that because we're all just so programmed to think of, okay, move your body to look a certain way to change your shape or to maintain your shape or whatever, that having some like, you know, intentions that are have nothing to do with that, that allow you to kind of connect like you, you know, you mentioned the synovial fluid and like, okay, I got to move like this got to keep things moving. I think that helps to like overcome some of that resistance that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And some people have, a lot of people that I've spoken to and worked with from have old injuries and they have knee problems. And, you know, the, one of the things we often hear is, you know, the impact that weight has on our knees and the joints and everything else. And none of the weight never matters to me with clients. You know, I have great people that I can refer people to if they have knee issues. But that's really important because people feel like if they have bad knees that they're doomed and they can never do movement again. And that's typically not the case. They are able to work with a physical therapist or they are able to work with people like Cinder Ernst. She has something very specifically designed for people in larger bodies that have knee issues. So, you know, if you find the right people, you know, and if you're willing, I really believe that the knee issues can very often work themselves out, you know, or at least reduce the pain significantly so you can move more when your body wants to and when you want to, which is nice. Okay. Yeah, that's so great. I think that that's like, that is really common is the knee, knee problems. I know my dad had that pretty significantly. My mom has that. Other members of my family have that. And I think the weight connection with that. So I'm really glad you mentioned that, you know, there's resources out there that it's not necessarily like about the size of your body. Absolutely. And I also, I forgot to mention another really important benefit of it moving and advancing in age is balance. That consistent movement also helps to maintain balance because that also changes as we age. So I do a lot of yoga and a lot of the poses I focus on are not just balance, but there are always throw in some balance poses because that definitely starts to change as we get older. So that's another really important thing to help with, you know, 
falls and things like that. And I'm nowhere near that stage of life where I need to be overly concerned about that. But at some point I will be. So I'm glad that I'm working on that now so that, you know, my body will have a memory for it because that's important. So, okay. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, this all sounds great, Michelle, but it just feels like such a should. (laughs) What's your advice to them? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is recognizing that you feel like it's a should, you know, and I I think the other thing is most people listening to this are probably, you know, on some sort of a journey with their food and their body is understanding that this is a journey and that, you know, the shoulds just send us into a shame spiral. So going into getting underneath those icky feelings and thinking about how does my body feel? Because that's how I think what typically motivates people to move is listening to the body's signals. Are they feeling really fatigued? Are they stiff all the time? How is their mental health? Are they feeling really stressed, kind of low vibe? You know, all of these things can be, they can be indications of lots of things, but there also can be indications that the body is really needing to move more. And so... I think we can quiet those shoulds by turning more to what the signals that the body may be giving us and remembering that the shoulds are often get so loud that they drown out the sensations of the body. Yeah, that's super, super helpful. I love the way that you yeah, you phrase that. What other tips do you have for people who want to kind of, you know, either increase their movement or start moving again, like as I guess at any age, really? Yeah. One of the things I love to say (laughs) is some movement is better than no movement. So to sort of break down that whole perfectionism thing is people are like, oh, well, if I can't do it for this many minutes, it's not worth it. And I say, even if you can get outside or get on the bike or whatever type of movement you are choosing to do, it might just be dancing in your kitchen, which I have been known to do, (laughs) you know, just move. And it could be two, three minutes, whatever it is, it's still something, you know, count in quotes, count everything. So you're gardening, you're mowing the lawn, whatever you're doing is all movement. And if it feels good, and you know, you may be a little sore if you haven't done these things in a while, but it's all working to help your body stay mobile and to move the blood around your body, you know, your system and to get your blood pumping. And that feels good. And again, you may be a little bit sore, but it's nice to think about pretty much everything we do as some type of movement. I think that that's really important and not to be so rigid about, well, it has to be for this many minutes, this many days a week, and I can only do this type and I have to get my heart rate up to this in order for it to make a difference. It all makes a difference because we're looking at movement and the effect it has on us on many different levels, not just what our heart rate is and not at all what we look like, but instead how we feel, how is our body responding, are we sleeping better, how is our mood, none of those things have anything to do with our age or how we look. They all have to do with how we feel. And so I think we need to always be going back to how do I want my body to feel? Yes, I love it. I love it. That seems to be kind of the key question, <laughs> which I know you wanted to share the magical question to ask yourself so that you know that your movement is intuitively based and not driven by the diet mentality. Yeah, the magical question is, would I still like to do this movement if it wasn't going to change my body, my shape or my size? Would I still like to do it? 
And very often people are like, hell no, <laughs> you know, and I can honestly say that pretty much everything I do now, it's like, I really would do it again and again because I'm enjoying it and never thinking about, oh, this is going to make me more of this. I, it's just, it might make me stronger. It might make my stamina better. All great. But none of those have anything to do with the shape of my body, my weight or anything like that. It's just, they're just other things, you know? So I think we need to be asking ourselves those questions. And when we're honest, a lot of times people are doing it to change your shape or to look more this or less of that. And so that's a question we can always be asking ourselves. And that will bring us right back to how does this feel? Sometimes it's kind of muddy, right? Like, because we talked about how you're kind of, sometimes you might have that like diet mentality coming in. So it might not always be like a crystal clear answer, but I think that like, so long as like your intentions in the other, like that are not aesthetically based or kind of, you know, outweighing it, it's feeling good, then you're probably on the right track. Because I know a lot of people take this advice so literally and they're looking at it black and white and they're like, they'll come to me or they'll come to you. And I'm sure, I'm sure. And they'll say, well, Michelle said, <laughs> if I'm thinking about this, then, but I think it's like, it's going to be a little muddy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for clarifying. And I also want to say that going inward, always going inward. And do you have anxiety around movement? Like, if you skip a day because you're tired, are you feeling guilty around that? If you don't, if you're not able to do as much as you had done, I don't know, the day before or days before or weeks before, are you feeling like less than? Or is that taking hits to your self-worth? Like these are questions that we're invited to ask ourselves when we are in the process of recreating this relationship. And not the relationship never stops forming. It continues to morph. And that's okay too. But I think reassessing and always going inward to be asking ourselves these important questions are important and, and knowing what our why is for doing something. You know, like, why is this important to you? I think that if that's your compass, I think that that can also be very helpful. Yeah, love that. Love that. So the one last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I heard you talking about this in a Facebook Live that you did, is just dispelling kind of the myth of like the 10,000 steps a day. We've all heard it. We all know it. Tell me, is it real? Well, it's not real based on the research that I have read, and I'm happy to provide the links for that for you. It started as a marketing ploy, and it's actually started in, like, the research that I have seen, it's from the Harvard School of Public Health, and that, like, brought me down a rabbit hole of a bunch of other articles. And so there is no, I'm, I'm actually going to read from this directly. There is this professor, I Min Lee. Lee says there's no evidence that the health benefits of that particular number have ever been scientifically validated. And then there are a bunch of articles that there are links to different studies, same thing. And they even talk about it in reference to age for people older in their 70s, but they also talk about people in their midlife, like 50s and so on through 70s, and that there is no statistical data that is saying that this is better in quotes for our health. So if people are doing it, and if you feel like it's something you can do, I'm not going to tell you what to do, obviously, but I think it's important to know that there is no scientific data that backs that up. Really important because we hear it all the time and we know that there are lots of measuring devices out there that are tracking these types of things. And, you know, I don't want anyone to feel bad if they are doing it because it's not wrong. It's just that 
for the reasons that people are doing it, I think they need to understand that there is no data and there are plenty of research studies with substantive number of people that it doesn't hold any water. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, again, comes back to like, do you enjoy like walking that amount? Like maybe if you enjoy something different, like who's you don't have to do them both. Like it, I take issue with it because it kind of looks at us like we're all just like, you know, again, like these robots, it's like, here's your prescription. It's kind of like the calorie prescription. It's like, here's how many calories you should eat. And it's like, yeah, doesn't make sense. It's very, very prescriptive. Exactly. And everybody is different. Not everybody likes walking. <laughs> So, I mean, I I think that there's so many issues with the whole, you know, 10K steps a day model. But, you know, from where I I sit, it's still a very diet culture-y type of uh, thing. And, you know, I think it can really lead people down a road of guilt and shame and a lot of beating themselves up. You know, I didn't do my steps today, you know, and that can go down the whole then compensatory, you know, behavior. I think that it's a really slippery slope. And my experience has been that it hurts people more than it helps them. Again, if people are doing it, do what works for you. But I have found in recreating a relationship with movement that it can be very detrimental. Yeah, yeah, totally. Love that. So I know, Michelle, you have a program called Joyful Movement at Last. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about that? Sure. It addresses exercise resistance, and it starts to unpack the obstacles, the emotional obstacles that people are putting ahead of their movement. And this is for people who, you know, I think it's important to say that we are not morally obligated to move our bodies. You know, this is for people that really their bodies are giving them cues. They really want to move. They just, for whatever reason, are not doing it or they start, but they're not consistent and they want to go under the hood and look and understand why. So we explore fear. We explore perfectionism. We explore self-sabotaging, overwhelm, and a lot of the things that get in people's way in a very loving, compassionate way. And then we set some realistic goals for, you know, what are your intentions here? What would you like to see happen? What things might get in the way of that? And then we untangle some of those. So it's a lot of like peeling back some of those layers, but again, in a very loving way. And then I have a members only movement group. So the people that are taking the course also have a Facebook group where I give lots of information. We have really great conversation. I do like a weekly check-in. How are we doing this week? What's in the way? And so it's just a really unique program that helps people to really get underneath that resistance so that they can start moving if they choose to. Yeah, that's great. And it's like, it's not very long, right? Is it like, how many weeks is it? It's five modules and it's a self-study. And I am very seriously considering doing a live component in the new year because I think it would just be nice to be face-to-face with some people, even though it's on Zoom. But still just, you know, having that extra support, I think would really be helpful for people. So that is something that I'm very seriously considering. And if people, I'm going to probably start polling and seeing what the interest level is, and then I'll probably just do it. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So I mean, I think it's like a much needed thing. So if you are wanting to kind of, you know, move more or get back into it, and you kind of have those that all or nothing thinking or the shoulds, or I don't have the time, then this is definitely for you to help you overcome those blocks. Yeah. 
get you unstuck? Yeah, it's definitely unique. And uh, the women have found it to be, they were kind of blown away. They were like, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know, so it's a lot of like ahas. And I think that that often is what's needed to, you know, to help heal this relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And then you also have a free guide, right? So what, tell everyone about your free guide. Yeah, I have a uh, intuitive movement principles guide. Of course, they are, you know, the foundation are the intuitive eating principles. And I have my own spin on them. And so just to sort of give people idea, because they're like, well, what is it? How do I know? And aside from the ma- what I call the magical question, there are some, I have 10 principles that they can kind of follow to help them along and for them to be like checking in and they're not going to remember all 10 of them, but they may remember one, two or three of them. And that may help them to stay more grounded in how they feel instead of the focusing on how they look. So that's a free guide and it comes with the guide and then it has a bunch of emails as follow up to give more, more support. Great. That's amazing. And outside of that, which I will link to in the show notes, where can people find more of you? My Instagram, Michelle Vina Baltzis underscore coach. And my website, of course, is my full name, no spaces. And I also have a No Diet Sisterhood Facebook group where I'm very active. So a lot of chatting in there. And then, of course, there's the members only group for Joyful Movement at Last. Great. Well, it's been so lovely having you on here again to talk about a completely different topic. As always, I enjoy our conversation so much. Me too. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Thank you for having me again. Rock on. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 209. That is where you will find the link to Michelle's free intuitive movement guide, as well as a link to her joyful movement at last program, as well as a link to the other stuff that she was talking about. So you probably heard her mention Cinder Ernst, who has the program about plus size knee injuries or knee recovery. I'm probably butchering the name. But anyways, I've linked that in the show notes as well as the study on 10,000 steps a day. So you can get that at summerinand.com forward slash 209. And you'll hear me again soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.